I'm Warren Berkeley with the Laurel Heights Church of Christ in McAllen, Texas. Thank you for being a part of this study in Proverbs. This is the class content for April the 15th, and this is based on Proverbs 3, 9 through 12. And alongside this passage in Proverbs, I'll bring in Hebrews 12, 3 through 17. Before I continue in Proverbs 3, let me back up a moment and say that in order to have good life outcome from our study of Proverbs, it is necessary to let God's Word cultivate in us an attitude toward God that is called the fear of the Lord. That's the starting place. That's brought up in Proverbs chapter 1. So for those with that reverent attitude toward God, wisdom can be the outcome as we take in the teaching contained in this book. God's text messages embedded in us, written on the tablet of our hearts, enables us to get up every day, serve and glorify God, and avoid the ruin of sin. So Here is where we are in Proverbs chapter 3. Listen to verses 9 through 12. Honor the Lord with all your wealth and with the first fruits of all your produce. Then your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will be bursting with wine. My son, do not despise the Lord's discipline or be weary of his reproof for the Lord reproves him whom he loves, as a father, the son in whom he delights. Here's where I want to start. I want us to think of two extremes. When things are going well, we may be tempted to think we have everything under control, so trusting God is unnecessary. When things are going badly, we may be tempted to think trusting God just isn't working. Now, If you have that basic attitude, the fear of the Lord, you will not yield to either temptation. But this is typical, to let good times generate self-assurance and independence from God, and to let bad times create bitterness toward God. If you are a person of godly fear, sincere respect for God, you will not yield to either. This chapter begins with the call to trust in the Lord and not lean on your own understanding. But if times are good, one may think they don't need to trust him. And then when times are bad, one may think trusting him isn't working. What we're going to study together from this passage and from Hebrews 12 in this episode will address those temptations. Now, looking at this passage, Proverbs 3 9. How should we treat the Lord in good times? Honor the Lord. Now, this doesn't mean take credit for your good times and spend money on your own pleasures and just say that the Lord is honored. No. Honor the Lord with what you have that is good. Honor the Lord with your wealth. Now, here we are again at one of those places in Scripture where we can think this is something we can dismiss and skip. In a passage that says something about wealth, we are tempted to impulsively say to ourselves, well, I'm not wealthy, I have no wealth, 
so this doesn't apply to me. I'll skip this passage. Don't do that. Wealth doesn't necessarily imply excess. Just think of this as what you have, power, capacity, what you have. This wasn't written just for rich folks or millionaires, so all of us need to listen and apply this. Honor the Lord with your wealth. It is this simple. Use what you have to honor the Lord. Do that in good times and in bad times. Use your money, your time, your talent, and every resource, every available resource with such wisdom that you honor the Lord. You glorify God with your body, your time, your talent, your money. If it helps, think of the opposite of honoring the Lord with what you have. That would be boldly claim ownership of what you have. This is mine. I have earned it. I'll use it for me, for what I want, for what honors and glorifies and pleases me. That's the opposite attitude. Avoid that. Reject that kind of thinking. This says, when things are going well and you have something, use it in such a way God is given glory. God's will is advanced. God's work is funded. Honor the Lord with your wealth and with the first fruits of all your produce. Now, may I point out in some translations, like the New American Standard Bible, it reads, Honor the Lord from your wealth. So, this is not telling us just to give God credit verbally. This is giving that is from your wealth that God enabled you to have. Use it in God-honoring ways. So we are back to this. Use what you have in such a way that you are generous to God, a liberal giver, a sincere contributor to his cause while you live day by day according to his perfect will. God enabled you to have all the good that you have. Verse 10, Then your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will be bursting with wine. Well, here is another of those places where that popular inclination may kick in. And people want to claim material prosperity as a reward for honoring God. Spiritual prosperity, absolutely. But materialism should not be the way we read this passage. Materialism should not be the perspective here. This is spiritual prosperity, and it's all over the book of Proverbs. But verse 10 isn't about, for example, giving God a dollar, and he gives us back $10 literally. No. Let us pause here and say, if you interpret any promise of God in the Bible materialistically and in a way that arouses greed, you've got it wrong. It is attractive popular to say, give God money and he will make you rich. He will make you rich spiritually if you give your life to God, yes. But the simplistic error that is so popular is, give God money and he will make you rich. That makes God a broker, like an investment firm in heaven. He takes your little deposits and he returns attractive fat dividends. 
This is the simplistic and materialistic message of what is sometimes called the gospel of health and wealth. That is not the gospel of the New Testament, but it's very popular today. By the way, men who teach this always give their listeners their mailing addresses. Hmm. This verse, Proverbs 3 and verse 10, is to be understood similar to verse 8. It isn't about perfect health and wealth for believers. It is about a full, rich, healthy relationship with God. When we have the fear of the Lord and we gain knowledge and wisdom and use that in life, God doesn't pay us for services rendered. He doesn't send us windfalls, wealth, and wine. He doesn't make celebrities out of us or elevate us to high places of worldly success. He blesses us spiritually. He empowers us to be good neighbors and good disciples and good contributors, good employees, good employers, good parents, good spouses, good workers. So we need to reject the, the materialistic interpretation of Scripture, in this case the erroneous thinking that donating to God is like an investment to load us down with plenty, bulging barns, bursting vats of wine. To materialize or literalize this is to cheapen the grace of God and turn him into something like a rich uncle who writes us into his will. All right, I'll calm down. Let's look at the rest of this in verses 11 and 12. My son, do not despise the Lord's discipline or be weary of his reproof, for the Lord reproves him whom he loves as a father, the son in whom he delights. There can be no doubt when Scripture is read and studied carefully that God has the capacity to interrupt our lives with something unpleasant but that works for our good. I want you to think of that. Let me say that again. Listen carefully, and I'll document it. God has the capacity to interrupt our lives with something unpleasant or painful, but that works for our good. And this passage says this is called the Lord's Discipline. And this passage says, don't despise it or be weary of it. It is a father providing what his children need in every way the father is able. About this, in a moment, I'll make reference to that passage in Hebrews 12. Let me illustrate what we're talking about here. A personal illustration. When I was in basic training in the Army, Fort Benning, Georgia, 1966, there would be a day... When we would arrive back at the barracks after dinner and we had a good successful day of training, all the benchmarks and certifications were met, good teamwork, good dinner, nobody got hurt, now we're relaxing for a good night's sleep, settling into our bunks. Everything is good. Then, in the dead dark of night, 2 a.m., the sergeant comes in yelling for all of us to get up, get in uniform, get outside, fall out for training to respond to some threat, a drill. He wasn't punishing us. He was training us. He was preparing soldiers for what he knew we would need in the future. Some of that was to test us 
in an effort to expose our deficiencies. It was painful, but necessary to prepare us for future opposition and hardship. The sergeant was doing us a favor, allowing us to see our weaknesses so that we might address them, and certainly he would address them. God has the capacity, when things are going well for us, to interrupt our lives with something unpleasant for our good, to train us, to discipline us. It isn't punishment. It is the Father providing what He knows the children need. While I cannot identify every difficulty as divine discipline, I know God has this capacity, yet I must be careful to never rebel against Him when I'm going through difficulty that can build me up that can build in me patience and strength and maturity. Now we go to Hebrews chapter 12. Listen to verses 3 through 17. If you need to pause the recording and find that, please do so. Hebrews chapter 12, verses 3 through 17. It says, Consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself, so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. In your struggle against sin, you have not yet resisted the point of shedding your blood. And have you forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons? My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when reproved by him. For the Lord disciplines the one he loves and chastises every son whom he receives. It is for discipline that you have to endure. God is treating you as sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? If you are left without discipline in which all have participated, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. Besides this, we have had our earthly fathers who disciplined us and we respected them, shall we not much more be subject to the father of spirits and live? For they disciplined us for a short time as it seemed best to them, but he disciplines us for our good, that we may share his holiness. For the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant, but later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. Therefore, lift your drooping hands and strengthen your weak knees and make straight paths for your feet so that what is lame may not be put out of joint but rather be healed. Strive for peace with everyone and for the holiness without which no one will see the Lord. See to it that no one fails to obtain the grace of God that no root of bitterness springs up and causes trouble, and by it many become defiled, that no one is sexually immoral or unholy like Esau, who sold his birthright for a single meal. For you know that afterward, when he desired to inherit the blessing, he was rejected, for he found no chance to repent, though he sought it with tears. Children need discipline. Our parents disciplined us. Good parents didn't just punish us because they were irritated. They interrupted our good times to teach us, 
discipline us. When going through it, it seems painful rather than pleasant, but later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. This, in Hebrews 12, quotes from Proverbs chapter 3. So, it's time to go back and read our text, and then I'll punctuate some takeaways. Proverbs 3, 9 to 12. Honor the Lord with your wealth and with the firstfruits of all your produce. Then your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will be bursting with wine. My son, do not despise the Lord's discipline or be weary of his reproof, for the Lord reproves him whom he loves as a father, the son in whom he delights. I have this very useful commentary on Hebrews written by David McClister, a gospel preacher, with really well-written comments on the Hebrew passage and the Proverbs text. He wrote, We are not to esteem the Lord's training lightly, which means not to think ill or despairingly of it. We rarely relish the prospect of hardship. However, God's educational dealings with us are not meant to drive us away from Him, but to draw us closer to Him. Accordingly, we should not give up our faith in Him when trials and hardships come along as they do in every life. They are to be understood as God's training of our character, and we should appreciate the concern they reflect. Very good remarks from David McClister. Takeaways. Whatever we have, we ought to use it in such a way. God is glorified. God is honored. Christ is obeyed. You don't have to be rich, as we moderns use the term, to do this, to take this seriously. Whatever you have, that is your wealth. Use it in such a way God is glorified, He is honored, and Christ is obeyed. Don't limit this to money. What talent do you have? What time do you have? What resources? What opportunities? What contacts? What skills? In good times and bad, let us commit to using what we have to serve God, honor Him, be obedient disciples of Christ. Guard against imposing materialistic desires into the text of Scripture. That's my second takeaway. Guard against imposing materialistic desires into the text of Scripture. Once you start doing this, especially with so many Old Testament passages, you develop a habit of materializing passages. And in addition to the error of that approach, it takes you away from the real content of God's promises of spiritual treasure in your relationship with Him. Takeaway number three, when pain invades us, never blame God. Trust Him who has promised to discipline us and use our pain to train us. The Lord sometimes may subject us to hardship, allowing us to be tested, to reveal our weaknesses, to strengthen us, to train us for future hardship. 
I've often looked back through my life, and I know this is subjective. But let me say it, it may help you. I've often looked back through my life and reconsidered the hardships I've encountered. It has sometimes seemed to me, though it falls short of objective proof, that with each difficulty, each trial, God was getting me ready for the next. I cannot know the mind of God about such matters, but I can reason from His love as a father. And as I read Proverbs 3 and Hebrews 12, I'm strongly inclined to believe with each trial, the Lord prepared me for the next. Whether I can be exact about that or not, I know this with absolute certainty. I must never be bitter toward God about those hard times He allows me to pass through. Well, that's our class content for April 15. Thank you for listening.